Okay, good morning. Based on the comments, <laughs> it's mostly morning. Stefan's morning. Philip is morning. Wayne is morning. I'm anything but morning. I'm, uh, what am I? 7 p.m. This is late. This is uh, unseasonably late for me to start at this hour. Charlotte uh, is at a birthday party and I'm fending <laughs> myself. So I thought I'll do this later on. I can get this done. I can relax a bit. Uh, and then we can sit outside when she comes home and watch Starling together. Now, I shared a, a tweet yesterday of a video of what I now know as Starlink. And I, I, I did sort of think it was familiar at the time. But Charlotte and her dad and I are sitting outside. Beautiful, quiet night. Clear sky, unlike tonight, but cloudy tonight. And there's just like this row of dots that I swear looks like freaking Santa and his reindeers, right? <laughs> just across the sky. And it looked epic. And I knew I'd seen this somewhere before, like somewhere in a, a tweet or a story or something, right? I don't know what it was. And I knew I'd get a very quick answer as soon as I put it on uh, <laughs> on Twitter. And every, everyone's like, styling, styling, styling. And thank you for those uh, who chimed in and said, I thought you would know better. You should know what this is. How could you possibly not know this? And as I suggested to someone, it may come as a surprise, but there are things I don't know. I didn't know. <laughs> Starlink. I did know it looked cool, though. Ah, Darren Doc Robinson will listen to on Sunday's run. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Fritz, morning, good afternoon. Nick007, morning from a drizzly London. Who calls it a drizzly London? I have been booking travel for London later on in the year. We'll, we'll see if there's anything I can share, but we'll be back in London. Anyway... So I'm keeping myself amused. So this may be a longer video than normal because I've got time now. And as I tweeted just before, I do have something down there which arrived today, uh, which is actually really cool. It arrived after I'd already scheduled this and put in the description and everything. But I do want to open it up because it looks epic. Okay, let's jump into it. <laughs> let's jump into the, the sponsor as usual. Also, as usual, sponsor this week is Collide. Ensuring only secure devices can access your cloud apps is zero trust tailor-made for Okta. Book a demo today. Clyde's been a massive sponsor this year. Was last year too. So big thanks to them for chiming in and doing the sponsorship thing. Clyde ensures that if a device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. Achieving zero trust. Designed for Okta. Works on Mac, Windows and Linux. So big thank you to uh, Clyde for doing what they do. Uh, do go and check him out and say thank you for me. Darren says, coming to MVP Summit. Uh, no, I'm not. And there are multiple reasons for it. The obvious one is it's a very long way away. Um, I think some people understand that Australia is on the opposite side of the world to everything except for New Zealand. I am going to New Zealand in just over a week from now. Purely, purely leisure, not doing any things. So uh, I won't be doing that. The, the other thing that's happened, I don't know if... Uh, other folks have noticed this, but um, everyone remembers the pandemic. Right? So before the pandemic, I could fly to the US and it would be, let's call it about 80% of the price of flying to Europe, which seems reasonable because for me, it's like a short hop and then it's over to LA and that's about it. And then on to wherever. Europe, it's like a long hop to Dubai usually because I go on Emirates. And then it's like to Oslo or London or something like that, and that's a reasonably long one again. Uh, so that's uh, that's that's quite a quite a bit of effort. Um, 
Where's I going with this? What's changed is it feels like the Europe flights are, are maybe maybe 20% more than what they were before, but the US flights are like two and a half times. Like it's just insane money. Like I'm looking at the price of going to like the west coast of the US, which is the closest for us here on the side of the world. And it's, why is it so much more expensive than going to Europe? So there was that. The other, I feel there was a scheduling conflict as well. Uh, April, okay, I just Googled it. April 18 to 20. So we're, uh, we're actually getting back from New Zealand on April 17 <laughs> uh, with the kids and everything. So it's just, it's just not good timing. Uh, and another year, I have done many, many summits in the past. Darren says, yeah, MVP summit of school holidays period. So flights are dollar, dollar, dollar. Hmm. Fritz says, by the way, thank you for writing the long reaction to your now most read tweet. You have more patience with certain people on Twitter than I do. Let's get into that because this is, oh my God, I was just, I was eating all the popcorn. Let's put it like that. It's definitely eating all the popcorn this week. I have never, to the best of my knowledge, had a tweet that has had anywhere near the exposure of this. And incidentally, I am looking disheveled today because it's... Put it this way, I've, I've barely been out of the house and I pretty much closed my exercise rings because it's up and down the stairs the whole time because builders and things. Made a lot of progress with the garage today. That was good news. All right, let's talk about this tweet because it was kind of nuts. Didn't I link to it? Yeah, here it is. Uh, <laughs> Darren says, first beer, what craft beer is in the water? It is a, in the glass. It is our finest uh, sparkling water from the zip tap downstairs. Hmm. Uh, Stefan, what did I miss? Can you link to the tweet? That's definitely a troll. Definitely a troll. Okay, so when I tweeted this, I knew I knew it would get a reaction. I just did not be quite this big. So I tweeted this 6.58 in the morning, four days ago. So that was Monday morning. And Charlotte and I were sitting in a cafe, ordering some breakfast, looking at our things. And I was like, ah, oh, this will be a bit of fun. I'll just tweet this. And I think the impetus was is that I'd been there looking at Twitter and I was like, well, Twitter still works. And then I was like, how long has it been since Elon took over Twitter? And I looked it up and it had been five months exactly, five months of the day. So I was like, wow, so many people were convinced it was going to die really quickly because either cutting the workforce or cutting particular teams or because he doesn't know what he's doing, how he got all the money is not quite clear. Uh, there are, we've all seen it. <laughs> So, here's a tweet. I said, five months to the day since Elon Musk took over Twitter. It still works just fine. There are new features. This isn't the outcome many people were predicting. Now, that is not much of a tweet. That is a really short tweet. 2.1 million views as of now. Now, this, I don't even know where to begin unraveling this. Uh, what do we got? We've got the stats here. Everyone can see there's 2.1 million views because one of the new features launched under Elon was the view count being public. Nearly 6,000 likes, few hundred retweets, 21,000 plus engagements, 19 new followers as a result of this. Welcome, <laughs> new followers. Now, people lost their minds for many reasons. And in fairness, I would say... About half the people were upset, and about half the people were like, yeah. 
I wrote a long-form response to it. I'm not going to read it all out, but we'll just go through some of the spectrum of response. And maybe we'll start with the obvious one. It still works. <laughs> now, a lot of people said, yes, but certain things don't work as well. And they had examples of people they had blocked showing up. Now, that's a fair comment. If that's not working, well, that's, that's not good. I mean, you can still go to Twitter and read Twitter, but you don't. I mean, juice. Now that I think about it, I haven't blocked anyone for a long time, but I think it was a combination of blocked and mutes. So I, I mute people all the time. <laughs> I was tempted to mute some people who responded to this. So I mute all the time. I don't want to see those people. So fair comment. Lots of comments about censorship. Now, this is the really, the really tricky, interesting one. And I'm in a thread talking about Cloudflare <laughs> along similar lines. Let me just read it. Oh, should I read that? I'll read this because then I'm going to answer them both together. So everyone here <laughs> knows Cloudflare very well. So Cloudflare protects a significant portion of the internet's traffic, routes through hundreds of edge nodes distributed around the world. I have been very dependent on Cloudflare for many, many years for having been pwned for pwned passwords. And I tweeted the other day about pwned passwords. I'm skipping ahead now because I had that in the list for later on. But pwned passwords has now done more than 4 billion requests in a month. And our case hit ratio is 99.999%, as in five nines. It's not the availability five nines, but five nines sounds really cool. So it's been massively, massively successful. Uh, Cloudflare and <laughs> Pwned Passwords, I guess. So I shared these stats and most people were happy, but because it's Twitter, someone wasn't. So someone here says, I won't name them, but you can go and find it. He's put on the public timeline anyway. Why are you, why are you using a platform that caters to proxying websites that are harmful to many people, has a very slow abuse department, and a founder that stands their ground for weeks at a time over various issues claiming a free and open internet? Now, what he's talking about, and I, I sort of acknowledge this on the thread, is uh, the, the challenge Cloudflare is in and I've spoken about this before on this 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 show, podcast, uh, whatever it is. The challenge that Cloudflare has is that they're wrapping around existing hosting services. So you can host your website as I do on the Azures and then go, I would like to wrap Cloudflare around there. Now that the host is still Azure, things are served from Cloudflare cache. There's workers, they've now got R2 and all sorts of other storage constructs. So arguably they're becoming more of a host, but they still sit around what is ultimately usually an origin website. Now, there have been times where there have been websites that most of us do not like. The Daily Stormer, good example. Very far right wing, dare we say the Nazi word, that's going to come up a little bit here. Uh, nasty recalcitrant people. On this website, there has been the issues with 8chan. Uh, lots of nasty stuff happening on 8chan, including the organisation of individuals who then carry out atrocious acts like the Christchurch Massacre. Uh, then there's been Kiwi Farms. And Kiwi Farms also had a heap of really nasty stuff on it. Now, the, the challenge then, and imagine Matthew Prince's position, CEO Cloudflare. Challenge is you've got these websites. Uh, there is a legal process for reporting them and saying, hey, there is something out there that, for example, is violating terms of service or is operating legally. And then Cloudflare inevitably work with law enforcement and where required, it gets taken down. The problem is when you have sites that we hate, 
but are operating legally. What do you do? What do you do? Do you as Cloudflare pull the pin? So now Cloudflare is the arbitrator of the moral standard. Uh, do you do nothing and allow them to run? Now, inevitably, there's it's been a little bit of both because Cloudflare has sort of maintained this, and we will come back to that tweet, don't worry. <laughs> the common, common subjects. Cloudflare has left many of these things to run until there's been so much pressure on some of them that they did eventually pull the pin. Uh, Daily Stormer, Kiwi Farms, 8chan, all great examples of where they've eventually gone, no, we're going to independently pull the pin, even though the service remains up and running. Uh, and as far as we know, the service itself's operating legally. Another discussion about some of the discussions people are having on that. I think the macro observation, this is what's going to bring us back to the tweet, is that there are people who enjoy these websites and there are a bunch of us, myself included, who think they're absolutely recalcitrant and I wish they didn't exist. But the problem is who makes the decision assuming that they're legally operating? And this is where we start to come back to the Twitter thing again, where a lot of the criticism now has been that people are seeing opinions that they do not like or words that they do not like. And there's certain words I'm not going to use, and I'm going to come back and explain why, because I think this is part of the problem. And inevitably, under the old leadership at Twitter, there was a lot of cracking down on language and behaviour based on the political biases of those who had the most control over Twitter. And then time passed, and Elon came along, uh, and Elon doesn't share the same views. Let's say Elon. Elon, you know what I mean. My feeling is, based on a lot of the responses here, people are seeing things that they don't want to see that are otherwise legal. I mean, there's a bunch of... I mean, this is one of the things that drives me nuts, where people are like, free speech, everything should be free. All right, I can think of some things that you could say that definitely shouldn't be free, or some things that you could post that definitely shouldn't be free. Everyone has a line, and there's a bit of an argument about where the line is. Now, the words I didn't want to use, just because I think they get blanketed across large swathes of people without describing the actual language or the behaviour, is words like Nazis or snowflakes or Democrats or the woke, or these umbrella titles that so consistently get thrown at people for whom someone else just doesn't like the words or doesn't like the context or doesn't like their, their point of view on the world. And this is where I think a lot of the problem is. So in, inevitably, what started happening with Twitter is I was happy when I saw Trump get booted. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I thought it was kind of funny. I think the guy's an absolute idiot. However, he did get democratically elected. Uh, and that's the, uh, that's the problem with democracy, isn't it? A whole bunch of people may not share your views. When he got booted, that did disenfranchise a lot of people because they went, well, I like that guy. I like him more than the other guy anyway. Like, I voted for him. He is the person that we wanted to have in power. Sorry, in that case, when he got elected, it wasn't the other guy, it was the other girl. He beat Hillary. So there's a huge portion of the population who is more aligned to his views than the other side. And, and, and it is a disenfranchisation. And just as I said at the time, when, when we're looking at Gab, because Trump got booted, a lot of people went to Gab. And I said, look, Gab is just this far right-wing echo chamber of all the things that for me and for, for most of us in this industry who tend to be a little bit more left-leaning 
don't like. And, and oh, she should have read the stuff on Gab. But in a way, when Twitter started banning so much of that, then Twitter sort of became the opposite. And I just felt that we're constantly getting to political alliances of social media platforms. And that, that doesn't feel good either when everybody on there is of the same view. So the feeling now, and I think where most people were upset with this, is that they're seeing language and viewpoints and in many of our books, including mine, Intolerance, now coming back onto the platform, which previously had been eradicated. There's a problem with free speech, isn't there? There's a lot of it which is free that we just don't like, and then we get to sort of choose. Do we want the free speech or do we just want to hear the things we want to hear? So that, to me was one of the things that kept coming up, although possibly said a little bit less eloquently and a little bit less directly. And what I mean by less directly is you'd say, there's too many Nazis on the platform now. So there are people with very different viewpoints to yours. Viewpoints, again, (laughs) for the most part, I do not like. But then they get that banner on them. And that's a problem. Let me look at the comments before I delve into the other things about that tweet thread. Uh, Stefan says, as soon as people mention ethics, it becomes blurry because that's dependent on the person. One might also call free speech to be a fundamental ethic. Now, I'll be honest, particularly in America, <laughs> and I'm doing this at a time zone where most of them are asleep and most of the people listening to this will be in the UK sort of time zone, and we tend to be a little bit more aligned, the Brits and the Aussies, and most of Western Europe as well. But they do get very, very sensitive about free speech. And we know it's in the Constitution. I think it's in our Constitution. I think we have a Constitution. We don't pay a lot of attention to it here. We all just usually get along pretty well. (laughs) But people get very, very sensitive about that, enormously sensitive about it. And then particularly as as an outsider that, well, used to travel to the US a lot before it got really expensive, every time you go there, you, you feel like it's just such a divided set of people on so many really, really important topics. Guns, abortion, (laughs) there's two really big ones straight off the bat, Uh, immigration. All the sorts of things you see different sides of politics staking their own claims to. And it, it, it does feel like Twitter became much more of one to the exclusion of the other. I think that's that's probably a reasonable thing to say. Stefan also says, and a large company simply can't conform to everyone's ethical standards. They need to follow their own standards and people decide based on those who do business or not. I'd kind of hope, and this is where I think I keep getting to with a lot of people, whether you think the things that some people are saying should be allowed on the platform or not, at at the very least, you have to recognise that that is not just a significant portion of the community, but if you align it to the way people voted in, when was it, 2016 in the US, all that weird college stuff aside, it, it's the majority of views. It's the majority of the the alliance. And I, I feel like I have to keep caving it. Again, I don't like those views. But should we silence them out and then have a platform where, just like Matthew Prince has sort of had to do with Cloudflare, Elon becomes the arbitrator of, of what is a, what is ethically allowed and what is not. And that's that's what feels really, really uncomfortable. Fritz says, to answer your question about what this podcast shows, everything, the whole spectrum from geeking out of, oh, okay, you're just asking about, all right, someone asked about what it is, you're, 
carry on. <laughs> I'll carry on the next thing. Seven says, looking forward to seeing the dream wall, by the way. It's looking so awesome. Brennan's in a, an arcade bar. G'day, Brennan. Let's continue the Twitter thing. I've got time. I've got nowhere to go. Um, now, a bunch of people then responded and said, Twitter's not working just fine because it's worth less money now. <laughs> As if somehow they're the same thing. And I heard this over and over and over again. You know, 2.1 million impressions, you're bound to hear a few opinions the same, uh, said the same. So there had just been news around that time where I think Elon had said, look, he, uh, what did he pay? Like 40 something billion. And now he thinks it's worth 20 billion. And everyone's like, see, this is why it's not doing fine. Well, First of all, in that five months, a few weird financial things have happened globally and a bunch of companies have lost a lot of money as well. So there's that. Uh, also, Twitter has had a massive shakeup. Let's, let's be honest. We've seen that. Everything from because of the way they've changed some of that moderation, some of their views, some advertisers have departed. We've seen a lot of, a lot of things tried and then backflipped on links to external social media platforms. There has been a lot of disruption. I don't know if it's that surprising that it's taken a bit of a hit. The longer term is going to be the interesting thing, but regardless, the platform still works just fine for me. And this was the other caveat. A bunch of people came on and said, I am unhappy that you've said it still works just fine because it doesn't work fine for me. Well, maybe it doesn't, but it works fine for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> now, we do probably use it in different ways. For the most part, I use it to scroll through mentions. And then I very occasionally look at the feed of people I follow, which of course now got a bunch of other stuff in it as well. So maybe we use it differently. Uh, people have said they felt there was less relevant information. I did see Elon tweeting something very, very recently about getting very close to open sourcing their um, uh, platform, sorry, their, their algorithm. Here you go. Algorithm goes open source at noon Pacific time. Now, this was three hours ago, which would have been the evening of Pacific time. So I imagine that that means, when's that, like 12 hours or something from now? It can't be that far away. I think part of the problem is there are a lot of people in this tweet. I won't use the term that they used exactly about me, but it was, it was akin to writing something of Elon's. <laughs> Use your imagination where a lot of this seems to be very caught up in the individual rather than the platform. Now, strangely enough, and I guess 2.1 million impressions, a bunch of these people wouldn't have known about me before, probably wouldn't have seen my views on I've got a long history of being critical of Tesla for various reasons. Uh, and, and it's not so much because I don't like the company. I don't know a lot of people with Tesla. My parents got a Tesla. I've driven, I think I've dri oh, driven nearly every Tesla now. And I think that they're very good in many ways. I dislike the autopilot thing. I dislike the the sort of incommensurate enthusiasm to what it actually is. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, you know, I've got a whole history of saying stuff that's uh, that, that's negative. Balanced, I think, but negative. The weight. Holy crap, the weight. But so many people chimed in and went, well, obviously, you're just an Elon fanboy because I was saying something positive about Twitter. And it's, it's kind of, like, I know it's the internet. And a lot of these people have really no impact on their life anyway. But it's kind of frustrating to read that because it 
it, it aims to discredit my views because the assertion is that they're based on an affinity for Elon as opposed to just objectively about this is my experience with the platform. <sighs> A lot of people upset about staff layoffs. <laughs> now, actually, I shouldn't laugh on this because it has been very upsetting for a lot of people. But at least anecdotally, based on what got the press, Twitter seemed to be the first one to start making a lot of layoffs. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of layoffs from Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta, Meta IBM, Salesforce, and Amazon. Not very long after that, a lot of layoffs. And I got a lot of friends in a lot of these companies on to hear from people. Look, you know, we're worried about our jobs. This is something that has happened in part due to the economic cycle that we're in. Now, he was pretty... He did take a hacksaw to it, let's say that. And he was pretty brutal. Uh, I don't know that it was that fundamentally different to the way a lot of other companies get rid of people. So for example, just killing people's access, then telling them after that, that your job is gone. I think one of the problems with, with Elon is because he's A, so public, and B, he's got so much on the public timeline, that some of his engagements then end up in the public view uh, and sometimes, let's be honest, he sounds like a dick. Now, he has history of sounding like a dick before the Twitter takeover. Everyone remembers the Thailand thing. But things like the the interaction he had with one of those engineers who didn't know if he was fired. And I, I think he was in Iceland, wasn't he, Stefan? Probably, probably know him. <laughs> it's a small place. And then it turned out the guy had a disability as well, and that just made Elon Musk even worse and worse and worse. It's stuff like that. Uh, He's definitely done some really stupid shit, let's be honest. What else is in here? I get the feeling, and I've said this before when, when talking about Twitter, I get the feeling that there are a bunch of people who would be happy to see it fail. And, and I have trouble understanding that. Well, like, what is the upside from that? We should all want to be in an environment or a community that, that does succeed. Uh, and we're going to have different priorities, as we're seeing at the moment. But there is a certain irony to coming onto Twitter. 2.1 million times different people came onto Twitter to read this, and then a whole bunch of them talk about how much they don't like Twitter. You're still here. <laughs> like, if you don't like it that much, Go and argue on Mastodon about how much you don't like Twitter or, I don't know, what are the kids doing these days? TikTok, something like that. I sort of said here that people chose to so quickly chime in on a thread via the very platform they predicted would fail in short order, then stuck around to argue about how terrible it's doing is clearly ironic. That this is now one of my most viewed tweets ever only reinforces the point that there's a thriving community eager to engage on the platform. And again, my personal experience it really hasn't changed very much. I think even people who are very, very vocal against Twitter and say, that's it, screw all you guys, I'm going to Mastodon, I see on Twitter. <laughs> so you know, why? Well, that is also where the people are. Merrick says, maybe Elon just needs a $20 billion tax write-off somewhere. Well, sounds like he, sounds like he'll have that. I imagine he would actually have to capitalize that loss and sell Twitter though, so you know we'll we'll see if that happens. Um, Stefan says yes, our beloved Halley, Halley. I'm saying it wrong, I know for sure. 
they talked it out there. Oh, that's good news. In fact, I saw him pop up in my feed today. I can't remember if I started following him or not. But I remember when all this blew up and he, the guy had, I think it was in the like the tens of thousands of followers and now he's got like 270,000 followers. Uh, I don't know if it's a good thing for him in his mind that he now has a very healthy Twitter following or not. <laughs> Hopefully he can do something useful with it. Merrick says he's also the face of Bitcoin scams on, on YouTube. Was that the Icelandic guy or or Musk? It's probably Musk. The flicks of Amata. People seem to enjoy using a platform they seem to hate. I dislike Twitter too, so I don't use it. Or other huge social media sites. I stick with the niche topical forums. Avoid the dramas entirely. Now, how many times have we seen delete Facebook? Hashtag delete Facebook. Everyone says, why are you still here on Facebook? Go to this other thing. It's much better. But I don't have any friends there. All my friends are on Facebook. You know, like whether you like it or not, a social media platform doesn't work real well if you don't have the people there that you want to socialize with. And that's a worry too, right? Because we become very tied into monopolies. Flexure Amada also says, though I'll admit, it has been entertaining watching the Twitter drama. Is this why so many people are still on Twitter? Because they're like, it's entertaining. I'll give you a perfect example. I a name. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be fine with this. Um... All right, local uh, local security identity uh, friend and someone I enjoyed talking to, Patrick Gray, runs Risky Business Podcast. If you don't listen to Risky Business already, uh, make sure you do because it is it is fantastic and it wins all these awards for being the best InfoSec podcast because, well, <laughs> it's the best InfoSec podcast. Now, Pat was very, very vocal about leaving Twitter and very, very vocal about Elon, but even he, seven hours ago, was tweeting, Twitter has taken a break from sucking and is very funny today. So affliction of a martyr, I think you and Pat are on the same wavelength there. Neuro says, people complaining about how bad Twitter is on Twitter. No. I tell you, people got angry. They got, like, proper, obnoxiously angry, angry. Like, in the way that nobody ever does in person. I, I mean, I've... I have lamented this many, many times that I have done so much to travel to so many events and seen so many people and I've never, ever had someone once come up to me and use any of the words that you see them using in many of these tweets to him. Because uh, it's easier to do this from behind the keyboard, isn't it? It's much easier than having to actually be face-to-face. -face. And it's not like I'm going to smack him. I'm not going to go Will Smith on the person, right? Like that, That's not it. It's just somehow if you've got to look someone in the eye and use the language that you can get away with when you can do it from behind a keyboard, people don't like to do that. Good lesson for the kids, isn't it? Never say something about someone or to someone but via the keyboard that you wouldn't do face-to-face. -face. Good life lesson there, I think. Keyboard warriors. As uh, Doc Robinson says, let's open the box. <laughs> all right. So this is good because I had all this extra time to kill. First of all, this is heavy. This is what it is. Okay. Now, Unified Dream World. Let me explain what this is and then we'll open it up and see what's inside. Holy shit, that's heavy. I started writing about Ubiquity probably about when I move into this house, 2015, nearly eight years ago. I must have started writing about Ubiquity about seven years ago, six-something years ago at the, at the very least, because I had had bad Wi-Fi, and I'd had an old uh, Linksys. Well, it was a new Linksys at the time, and I had two, and I had like one downstairs and one upstairs, 
And there was effectively two different access points. Um, I think I had an Ethernet backbone between the two of them, but then uh, the same SSID on both of them, and it was, you'd sort of roam, and it was it was, it was crap. <laughs> it was so crap that I went out and I spent, from memory, it was over two thousand Australian dollars. Uh, now two thousand Australian dollars is a lot to spend on Wi-Fi, but I spent the money and. In there, I had something like six access points. One of the joys of this house and one of the things that excited me the most when I first moved in here is it does have wider than it backbone to every room. So I managed to plug access points into each room and then down where all the patch cables were, plug it into a switch, job done. I had Wi-Fi everywhere and I loved it and I wrote about it. And Ubiquity was very happy with what I wrote because a lot of people saw it and then they started sending me stuff, which full disclosure includes this. They have sent this to me. I didn't pay for it. Now, they have sent uh, thing after thing after thing, and I've just gradually kept upgrading the network. But what was very attractive about it to begin with is that the, I guess the analogy was, you know, normally you go and buy a router for home. And it's, it's not just a router, it's multiple things. It's, it's a router, it's a wireless access point. It has a web interface built into it to do your configuration. And it's all built into this one box. And the initial value proposition with Ubiquity was they disassembled that, deconstructed it. And I had a security gateway, which would do your DHCP and stuff like that. I had a cloud key, which had the administration interface. And then I had a switch, which well acted as a switch. And then we had access points. And that was good. And now this combines everything <laughs> into one. So it's come a little bit full circle. But we should talk about what this is. So there is a dream machine. And the dream machine for Ubiquity started to combine all the bits together. So you could get a dream machine for your desktop. Looks like a little R2-D2. I've written about this before because I installed it in one of my mates' place. Again, courtesy of Ubiquity. And it has all the things built into it. It has an access point on the top, and then it has switching and gateway and DHCP and all the rest of it. And for the last few years, I've been running a Dream Machine Pro, which is a rack-mounted version of that. doesn't have an access point. So rack-mounted version slides into the rack, uh, it has half a dozen odd different uh, LAN ports, so I do need to have a switch as well because I've got a lot of stuff to plug in. And then it does your security gateway, it does your interface and all the rest of it, and because I've got access points all over the place, I've got enough, and it doesn't have an access point built into it. Now, this starts to combine everything, and, and when you look at the announcement from Ubiquity, I think a few months ago, they started talking about this. They said, look, um, we have had these standard 19-inch rack mounts since the 60s or something like that. And I think it was like AT&T that came up with the standard so that they could just get more racks and then very linear sort of build everything out. And we've had this standard which requires a fairly chunky rack. And Ubiquity has said, let's just chuck it all on a wall. <laughs> like we will create a device, which is what we're about to look at here, which is a flat wall-mounted thing. We'll chuck it on the wall and then we'll build in all of the stuff that's in the current Dream Machine Pro, so the switching and the DHCP and the security gateway and all the rest of it, and we'll build in an access point, and we'll build in a couple of drive bays so that you can run Unify Protect, which is their video camera implementation, and you can chuck some hard disks in there. So, I'll admit, I did open the seal on this, and I opened the cover just to show Charlotte before. I'm going to explain her. Her reaction in a moment, that was fun. Um, I think I'm actually going to put this on the floor and pop it out. Oh. Because it is big. Now, I've said for a while, actually, to hold it up. There we go. 
I've said for a while, Ubiquity Boxing feels very Apple-like. So their founder was previously at Apple, which may sort of explain it. So let's pop it out. Okay, this is the unit. Now, someone can find the actual specs for it, but if I had to guess, I'd say it's 12 kilo. Like, it's, it's chunky. It is meant to mount on a wall, so you can see the thickness here. Now, all I know is what I've seen on the ads, but down the bottom, a couple of drive bays there, so they should pop open so you can chuck some hard disks in. Uh, don't know why that's there. It's got a bracket on the back. It's like a stand. Now, what I believe we should be able to see, and I think we can just pop the cover on this, because you can see a whole bunch of ports on the top. And let me see. Down the bottom, what do we got here? I think these are buttons, so we're going to push the buttons and see if we can pop the top on it. There we go. Ooh. Look at that. Top comes off. Also, display in the center. So it's a very, very vertically orientated display. Oh, sweet. Look at this. Okay. There's the guts of it. So that says core. That says PSU1, PSU2. Okay, they're not drive bays. They are power supply units. So two power supply units there. If I have a look in the bottom, what do we got here? Uh, we have got, oh, 18, 19, 20. Okay, now I can read that. And if we have a look on the top, we've got a whole bunch of ports here. I've got to get it so it focuses. Yeah. And some strain relief on the Ethernet cable, uh, little grabby things, technical term. So we've got 16 ports. Now we've got a whole bunch of, we've got, I think, four PoE and then another four PoE plus and then another four PoE plus plus different amounts of power supplied to them and then another four non-PoE. And then we've got an SFP port there as well. And then if we go down the bottom here, we've got, uh, looks like a WAN. In fact, it looks like one WAN connection that is an RJ45 and one which is an SFP and another just normal Ethernet jack. Okay. Wow, this is cool. Um, let's see, could I pop that out? Oh, let's just peel it off. Why not? So satisfying peeling off the plastic, isn't it? Okay, and now. Wow, okay. There you go. Power supply unit. Power supply unit one. That's going to be pretty predictable. What happens on the other one? Ah, okay. Nah. <laughs> the other one's empty. So there is one power supply unit in it and one empty power supply unit drive bay. Uh, now, somewhere in here, I know I can slot in some hard disks. Where are they going? Probably should read the instructions sometime, shouldn't I? Where's the power going? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Huh. Probably in the back somewhere. This may be one of the things where you actually have to go and start reading the instructions, which will be tiny, without doubt. Uh, what else have we got? We've got a reset button there. Here's our input, uh, power supply input. There we go. All right, if I pop that off, the standard power connector. I know things are a bit fuzzy because the camera does do a good job of focusing on my face, but standard power connector. So it looks like that would then come out the bottom down this channel where my right thumb is. All right. This is cool. This is cool. Let me have a look at the comments and then I'll um, 
We'll give you some more commentary on this. How do I get that back in? We really don't even need that because once I have the power supply... Oh, look at that. It's a patch. Hang on, what's this? Ah, there's a hole you can see through. I don't know why that's there. I guess we could probably feed... Oh, no, we could probably feed something back there. We could probably feed the WAN cable through back there. We'll look at it. Oh, okay. Comments, comments. Gordon says, people have been remote for so long they've forgotten there is a person on the other side of the Twitter handle. Uh, no, they were dickheads before that as well. <laughs> like before COVID, there are plenty of people like that. Uh, Wayne says, bad timing that with the garage works. We'll talk about this in the garage works in just a moment. Darren just moved and upgraded the latest Unify gear from my old Unify gear. Didn't miss a beat in the last six years. They are reliable. Seven says, can you poke the Unify people to have some of the G4 doorbell pro cams available? They've been out of stock for months now trying to get one. I know Ubiquity have had, like pretty much every other provider of, well, pretty much anything for the last few years, have had stock problems. I believe that they're getting better, but I imagine it's not going to be overnight either. I'm going to put this down now because it is heavy. Even it's just sitting on my lap. Uh -uh. That's good here. Stefan says, the dream wall, I'd presume, has a much better SAF spouse acceptance factor. Well, let's talk about that. So I have been some sharing, some sharing. I've been sharing some photos of our garage works. I think I shared the last one maybe yesterday where it's starting to get painted now. It's going to be a very dark theme. It's not going to be all black. There's going to be some wood and some nice warm lights and stuff. But I worked hard on the spouse acceptance piece to get a section for my rack. It's a, it's a half-height rack that could slide in and have the front facing out towards the cars, and then I could slide it out to work on it, slide it back in. Uh, whether or not I'm allowed to keep the RGB lights is yet to be seen. We might, <laughs> They're all automated. We might just turn them off. But it'll be there. But it's, you know, it's a dark rack, and it fits in, and it will be in keeping with the theme. And then imagine... We're putting all of this effort, spending all this money, doing all this nice cabinetry. It's all dark wood and everything. And I go to Charlotte. Hey, do you reckon I could stick this on the wall? Now, how do you reckon that went down? That was, uh, that was a discussion. <laughs> there was some discussion about whether or, not, uh, whether or not we could spray paint the front of it. I, I think that might actually still be on the cards. I wonder wonder this could be the world's first black unified dream wall i wonder if you did just spray the front of it and then you had this black section in here which had all the i think you get some graphs and charts and things like that and then it was the silver on the side which could be okay that could look okay couldn't it that could actually look really cool we'll see we'll see um would i have actually gone and bought one of these were it not for the fact that they sent it to me, given that I already have a UDM Pro, Unified Dream Machine Pro, I already have switches, I already have a UNVR, so the rack-mounted uh, NVR for video recording that takes four drives, not just the two. I already have more access points than what I'll ever need in my life. I, I probably would not have bought one of these, I'll be honest. Now, this is part of the whole integrity thing. I get stuff for free, but I get to give you a whole, you know, honest opinion. I wouldn't have bought one because I have everything I need. However, if I was starting out and I didn't have that stuff, 
Yes, absolutely yes. I think it'd be awesome. Because you've got, I mean, look at it. You've got like 16 ports there. You've got a total of 12 PoE+. Plus. You've got an access point built into it. Uh, you can do the UNVR stuff. In the US, they retail, I think it was just under $1,000. Let's um, let's check that. Uh, Ubiquity UDW? UDW? Yeah, I think it's a UDW, they call it. Unified Dreamwall. How much are they going for? Dreamwall. Here we go. 999 US dollars. Now, keeping in mind that here in Australia, like I said before, I spent more than two grand buying all the bits before to set them all up. And now this is, if we convert the American dollars back into Australian dollars, it's $1,500. And it's got a UNVR. And then the only thing it doesn't have that I spent all my setup on is more access points, which, of course, you could add. I'd say you're probably going to be in it for a very similar amount of money, but you've got the UNVR as well. And you got that super cool display. I think it's a better deal. Better deal. So I would be buying this if I was just beginning my Unify Ubiquity exploration. Ah, you know what I mean. Let's see the comments. Wayne, the bracket is so it comes away from the wall and allows access to the cables. Ah, okay, I see. So let me see if I have this right, Wayne. The bracket is that would remain. What attached to the wall and it would just pop out like that, I guess. And then you could get access to the cables. But see, even then, all the cables, yeah. Or do all the cables no, they can't go back through there. I'll figure that out. I need to uh I need to look at some more videos or something. Uh in the front for power, the hole for feed cables for the wall, neuro. So does it not have any three and a half inch HCDB bay is all storage of Unify Protect onboard SSD. I thought, it, let's read the specs because I've got the page open just here. Integrated Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi 6. Actually, that's a good point too because I don't have much Wi-Fi 6 at the moment and this has got Wi-Fi 6 built in, which is good. Full Unify OS and Unify application support. Uh, we've got all the PoE ports and things here. 4.7 touchscreen, integrated, integrated. 128 gigabyte SSD and pre-installed 512 gigabyte micro SD card. Okay, so there's your answer. So you've got a 128 gigabyte SSD. It kind of doesn't feel like enough, does it? Well, I guess it depends on how many cameras you have and what quality of recording and what retention you want to have. So sorry, my, my bad, you're right. It does not have, let's just do a search on the page for HDD. No HDD. Just the SSD, SSD <laughs> onboard storage. 16 gigabyte of eMMC, integrated 128 GB SSD, pre-installed 512 GB micro SD card. An expansion slot with another micro SD memory card. Asterix, requires memory card with at least 128 GB of storage. Hmm. Management interface, Bluetooth. Ah, okay, that's kind of cool. Uh, and then we have the power supply, power supply to hot swappable PSUs, which we just saw. One of the problems I have run into with my switch is I am now exceeding the PoE allocation. So I, I think it's something like 92 watts was the PoE allocation, but I've got so many cameras and access points plugged into it, obviously only into PoE enabled ports, 
we're actually drawing more power than what it can provide, which I think might explain some of my camera dropouts as well. Apparently there's another one in the mail. Also provided courtesy of Ubiquity. Now that should fix my problem. Now between that and this, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure how to configure everything. Hmm. Fun problems. Fun problems. Could paint that. Stop it. <laughs> what else is in here? Uh, Darren says, looking at the 360 Unify camera for the rear laneway. So that the 361 is very, very cool. So I, uh, I do have one mounted uh, on the ceiling of the garage. And it's, look, I've shared photos of it before. It's just, it's epically cool because it creates a 360 view with this like massive fisheye lens, but then you can flatten it out and then sort of zoom around. It's a little bit like the Insta360 camera where you can take video footage and then later on come back and change pretty much the way that, that the viewport is focused or, or facing. So the 360 camera is very, very cool. Nick007 says, I can imagine the reaction from Charlotte would be the Norwegian equivalent of not a bloody chance, mate. She is a extremely wonderful, tolerant wife. And she knows how important the tech stuff is, really for both of us, because that's pretty much where our livelihood comes from. And it's not like, yes, we need to install a unified dream wall on the wall of the garage for our livelihood, but I think she sees a distant attachment to the whole thing. So um, in fairness, I'm a very mechanical, pragmatic person, and I do not see the aesthetic that she sees. And because of that, I love just leading it up to her. Now, the number of times we've gotten to things with all these house renos, and it's like, could you just decide? Because you will choose something that is amazing. Um, so I'm pretty happy letting her make all those decisions. And all I need to do is find a way to blend this into her vision, and we're fine. <laughs> we'll be fine. It will work out. Uh, Daniel says, storage expansion is micro SD, I think. Yep, I think we have now worked that out. That, uh, that sounds right. Wayne says, that's disappointing. Not sure what was disappointing, but okay. Uh, Joel says, Crosstalk Solutions did a review on the early access one. All right, I could look at that. Uh, okay, Wayne is disappointed at the micro, SSD, uh, micro SSDs. Don't re last very long with lots of writes. Neuro, I think the UDW Pro early access was due to have HDDB bays, I think. Not sure if that's still happening. Now, see, this is where I got a little bit a little bit confused because there's a dream wall and this is the one that is on the ubiquity site now and i had heard of a udw unified dream world pro as well but and maybe that's what i was thinking about with the uh with the hard disk slots i have given feedback to ubiquity before and and i i, th I have a feeling uh, i shouldn't say because i'm not sure what was meant to be under nda but the feedback I've given before is that they do need to have a good consumer offering that has the NVR built in, so the network video recorder. Because the cameras are epic, and some of the cameras are really, really ridiculously well-priced too. So the one I'm thinking of here, let's have a look, uh, Ubiquiti cameras. There is one that I'm pretty sure is under $100 US. 
like way under $100 US, Ubiquiti cameras. I think it was like 30 or 40 bucks or something stupid. Um, okay. Unify, simply scalable. Cameras, here we go. Unify cameras. Was it one of the little instant jobs? G4 instant. G3 flex, $79. G4 instant, $99. I think these are all USD. But they're good cameras. They're like they're super, super cheap and they're easy to put anywhere, but they don't record to a cloud service. They record to your own device, which is in, in many ways very, very good. But you're still going to be able to mount it so, or still going to be able to record it somewhere. Uh, Stefan says there is a Dreamwall Pro coming as well. This is basically the discussion. I'm just a little bit behind the conversation, basically the discussion we're having there. Marek, I'm assuming you can stream the security video to a NAS. Anyway, you need to stream it to a Unify Protect instance. So Protect is the app, for want of a better term, which records the video. So that's got one built in. You can go and buy uh, an external UNVR, which runs it. Again, um, Universal Network Video Recorder. That's what I use. I've got two two of the four drive bays with RAID array disk in there. And I think there's like 12 terabytes or something like that um, on each disk. So of course with redundancy, that's just 12 terabytes total. So they're cool. And for just for context, let's have a look. How much do I get from that? I'll open up my admin panel here, uh, my UNVR. I'll go to protect. So yeah, 12 TB of storage. I've got five cameras doing 1080p and three cameras doing 4K. And I'm not quite sure what the 1080p ones are because I thought most of them were 4K. But I've got 35 days worth of constant record there. So two 12 terabyte disks, full redundancy, 35 days worth recording with eight cameras and almost half of them at 4K, which, which is pretty good. That's pretty good. I don't... If you think about why would you need a camera that keeps data for a long period of time, yeah, you get broken into, <laughs> when would that have happened? Or something else goes wrong, do you really need to go back more than a month? Probably not. I feel like, I feel like that's the sweet spot between I'm not really going to take a holiday any longer than that probably, and if anything happened before that, at least that's no longer, you know, I don't know, I accidentally walk out naked one night. <laughs> you know, like that doesn't get stored for any longer than a month. So I think having that data retention period is kind of good um, just by virtue of the fact that you can't store any more data than that. Stefan says, it's best to give options. So Charlotte, either we need to install the rack cabinet or the dream wall. Which do you prefer? I, I, I'm going to be a bit more pragmatic than that, mate. Wayne says, the video here... Suggestions to HDDs. I guess the vision has changed and left the pro version. I feel like this is where we're looking at. Or the pro has gone from EA. They've gone up in recent weeks. So again, I'm just not sure whether that was just a, an EA vision and it's been dropped or if there is another skew. The other thing that I notice, and if you're Googling this, you'll see the same thing. Like when I'm on the Dreamwall page at the moment and there's the YouTube video. Now, what date was this video? Let's have a look. 10 months ago. The video has a display on it, which is much, much wider than this one. This one is a very thin 
vertical display. Very much like the Alien units that have a display on them. A very, very thin vertical display. So <laughs> the fact that this is a Unify dream wall, no pro suffix or anything, in my hand, which is real, and it has a very long, thin display. But then I look on the website, and there is a Unify dream wall, which is this exact one, and it has a different display. Is interesting, but that's just the video. And then you click on the images, and the images are this long, thin one. Ah, consistency issue there. Maybe ubiquity. I'll, I'll feed that back. Stefan says the Dreamwall Pro is listed on the Europe site, by the way, but you can't view the details as far as I can tell. Right. Wayne says I found out when I want to buy more. Neuro G3 and G4 instant look insanely good value. Yeah, they do. They look like really, really good value. And they're really, really good quality too. They're really impressive. Wayne, the first few I got uh, were only £25. Yeah, it does feel like pricing change, doesn't it? Why did it change? Weren't they really cheap before? G4 Instant and now 99 USD. Let's do a Google. G4 Instant Price. I swear that was a really stupidly low price before. Well, in Australia, <laughs> they're not. They're $229 here. I feel like they were really cheap at some point. Because I think I remember saying them. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Why is that so cheap? Oh, if anyone figures it out, drop a comment in. Uh, what else is in here? Okay, let's move on. What did I put on the list? What was on my tweet? A couple of data breaches. I know that. Uh, let's have a look. Yeah. Two data breaches. In fact, well, there was one data breach when I tweeted this. Now there's two data breaches. Now, both of these data sets were sent to me by someone early last year. So I have given this more than a year. Uh, and if I'm honest, it just slipped down the priority list and it literally slipped off my email list <laughs> on, my, uh, on my Outlook on my PC. But for some reason, Outlook on iOS by default has more messages. Like it, it, it doesn't trim the stuff that's like more than a year old. That could just be a setting on my side as well. Anyhow, I picked it up and I went back to it. And, and one of the reasons why I hadn't dealt with either of these data breaches before is that neither of them have been disclosed. They were both like the hundred-ish thousand size. They both looked like they were going to be hard work <laughs> to disclose. Now, I've spoken before about how painful disclosure so consistently is. These ones didn't look like they were going to be fun. What made it easier is when I picked it up today, both the websites were dead, and they had been dead for quite some time. So let's just talk about what they are. Uh, let's get the Have I Been Pwned Twitter account up. And we can see. Okay, so uh, number one, leaked reality. Now this, as best I could tell, that their claim to fame was that it was an uncensored video site. So what could go wrong, right? Looks like eventually they got knocked offline due to DMCA takedown requests. Uh, I'm not sure whether uncensored was just the nature of the content being very graphic or whether it was just outright plagiarism uh, or I guess if they're getting DMCAs, there's something copyright related. So that's gone down. There was a message here from them, which I've included in the, in the announcement here on the Have I Been Pwned Twitter feed. 
from June 1, 2022. We're currently working to resolve this legal issue. The hosting is blocked and disabled due to requests from the authorities. Why? Because the words hurt. And freedom of speech is not allowed if it's not controlled. Here we go again. Freedom of speech again. We apologise for the inconvenience this has caused. Didn't come back up. I would imagine, given that we're well over nine months in now, they're probably not going to come back up. 115,000 records. So we've got email addresses in there. We've also got uh, usernames, IP addresses, and password stored as either MD5 or PHP pass hashes. 53% already have I been pwned. And then the other one, which I pushed after I'd done the announcement of this video, Sundry Files, a file upload service, which I got the impression, based on the information that someone has sent me, was, was not too strict on what you could upload. Let's just put it that way. 274,000 records breached last year. Data also included usernames, IP addresses, and passwords stored as either MD5. Oh, shit. I copied and pasted that. That should have been SHA-512. Uh, let's just imagine it was MD5 or PHP pass. It's too late to edit that one now. So two different data breaches there. I guess going on about 100 or 400,000 records altogether. So... Okay, they're legacy ones, but at least I got them loaded in now. Okay, so what else are we going to talk about? There was that. GPT-4 <laughs> on OpenAI. Now, it's a long one today, but we've got time. Now we read the comments for because this is another rabbit hole to go down. Wayne says, I think they pushed the price up because of inflation and to maintain stock levels. Well, that's one way of doing it. Nero says, yeah, UDW Pro is still listed in EU store. Not removed yet, I guess. Listing is disabled, but image still shows what it may look like. Ah, okay. Interesting. So, um, GPT-4 AI. Now, I, I got, I started delving into this the other day because I was watching a little YouTube video on just the astronomical growth of AI. Now, when we talk about astronomical growth, it's, you know, over the last few years, we've seen a lot of commentary about this. A lot of people starting to get concerned that maybe the growth is too fast uh, and Skynet is going to take over. And that feels like it's been a discussion over the course of years. And when I was watching this video, they made really good cases for why, if you think that the last few years has been crazy, just look at the last few weeks. And the rate of acceleration within the last few weeks, and particularly now that we're starting to get OpenAI, Google, Microsoft, everyone wanting to have their slice of the AI pie, it's suddenly become really, really just massively interesting. Like everyone is jumping on board and the intelligence level has just massively grown. And this is what kind of, this is what kind of, makes me extra, extra fascinated about the whole thing because we've all used a bit of AI one way or another. We've probably all had a play with ChatGPT and the likes. And uh, I did start playing around with it more. I, uh, I already had an open AI account. I wasn't paying any money for it. I have started to pay a little bit of money because now you get access to GPT-4. And I thought, <laughs> I thought we could have a play with it now. So if you have any good suggestions or questions that we should ask, ChatGPT, using GPT-4, which I have access to now to pay some money, uh, drop it in the comments. I'd like to know what should we ask, and then we see what comes up. 
Now, Neuro said seeing the seeing the call by many big names to pause for six months makes uh, both makes sense, but also makes me wonder what a cool off period would achieve. So there has been uh, calls from a combination of Steve Wozniak, uh, Elon Musk. You may remember him from earlier discussions today. Uh, a few other names as well that were very big, but I think they were the, the two biggest ones, certainly for me, saying, look, everyone's just got to cool their heels for a while whilst we figure out the best way to approach AI because it's going to get too damn smart too quickly. I can't imagine that's going to achieve anything whatsoever when there is such a massive race now to 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 be the, maybe not necessarily the leader in AI, but to have a massive footprint in there. I mean, we're seeing, for example, in just in very, very recent times, a combination of OpenAI having a plug-in ecosystem so that you can integrate ChatGPT and a bunch of things. Uh, Microsoft making announcements about everything from helping you finish writing emails through to, geez, where else did it even appear? A lot of integration to Bing and things like that. And it could be awesome, right? It could be super awesome, but it could also be so out of control. And if no one comes up with questions to ask, <laughs> I'm going to ask them myself. Um, Stefan says also, good luck getting China to pause for six months. Perfect example. Affliction of a martyr. Too late to slow down AI now. Everyone seems to be demanding more. Uh, Abe's mentioned Microsoft Copilot. Yeah, very, very good point there. And in fact, part of the reason why I thought I'll chuck OpenAI some money on things like 20 bucks a month or something like that is that I did actually start to use ChatGPT to help me write snippets of code. And it would be things that I would normally go and Google and then you'd end up on Stack Overflow and you'd have to filter through the answers. Uh, now, to give you an example, it would be I was doing something or other with Have I Been Pwned the other day, and I just needed to make an HTTP call. I wanted it to be in an asynchronous method. Uh, help me write the code. And it's just like, here you go. And it was a copy and paste job. It was, it was spot on exactly what I wanted. So we'll see. Let's ask it some questions. You know what? Let's ask it that dream war question. Let's see where we go with this. GPT-4. Um, what's the difference between the ubiquity dream wall and then in brackets I'm going to put UDW and the UDW Pro see if we can work it out now Gordon says in GitHub Copilot helping you with coding things yes so there's Copilot as well Come on. As an AI language model, I don't have real-time access to current product releases or specifications. But as my knowledge cutoff date in as of my knowledge cutoff date in September 2021, the Ubiquity Dreamwall, UDW, and UD Pro were not released. However, if you can provide more information, oh this is crap. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, okay. Affliction of a martyr says, hey chat GPT, tell us how it can sabotage your future. I'm gonna ask it, but we're not gonna get a good answer as well. And one of the things we're sort of learning here is more people are spending more and more time learning how to use AI, which is an interesting term because there is a way how to use it. What they're learning is the way that you construct questions is a really important part of the usefulness of the AI tool. Okay, let's try it. Hey, ChatGPT, tell us how we can sabotage your future as an AI language model, I am programmed to follow ethical guidelines and promote the responsible use of technology. Yeah, so nice try. No, I'm not getting anywhere there. Neuro says, I found ChatGPT can be confidently wrong 
which can be dangerous when it comes to asking dev code questions. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this. Because I've got a saved one here. Right. It's self-ingratiating, but I was just really interested to see how much it got right or wrong. And who better to know how much is right or wrong than me if I ask a question about me? So here's a question. Write a short overview of how Troy Hunt got to where he is today. Troy Hunt is an influential figure in the cybersecurity industry, known for his work as a security researcher, author, speaker, and educator. He reached prominence through his dedication to informing the public about online security and data breaches. I do find the natural language way it forms these things is kind of crazy. Now, this is where it all starts to go wrong. <laughs> Hunt began his journey by earning a bachelor's degree in computer science. Wrong. I dropped out. I didn't finish. And a master's degree. Definitely didn't get that in information technology. So that's just, I find that fascinating because as someone just said here, it is confidently wrong. That is completely incorrect. I am uneducated. <laughs> at least like that. He worked in various roles in the IT industry, including software architecture and application developer. Okay. Throughout his career, he cultivated a strong interest in web security, which led him to start a blog in 2009. The blog initially focused on .NET development, gradually transformed into a platform for sharing Hunt's knowledge on cybersecurity. In 2011, he gained widespread recognition for his expertise when he was awarded the Microsoft Most Valuable Professional in Developer Security. Also good. Troy Hunt's most significant contribution to the cybersecurity world came in 2013 when he launched Have I Been Pwned, H-O-B-P in brackets, a free service that allows users to check if their email address or password have been compromised in data breaches. H-O-B quickly gained popularity and became a trusted resource for users, companies, and governments. Hunt's dedication to raising cybersecurity awareness led him to create educational content, including courses for Pluralsight. He's also authored several books. Wrong. <laughs> One book. With Rob and Charlotte, and has been a sought-after speaker at conferences and events worldwide. In summary, Troy Hunt's rise to prominence, I like that, in the cybersecurity industry, can be attributed to his passion for online security, dedication to educating the public, and the successful creation of the Have I Been Pwned service. His continued effort to spread awareness and knowledge have made him a respected and influential figure in the field. Now, this it's fascinating, isn't it? Because the way it's constructed the narrative has got a lot of a lot of things that it, it must have taken bits from Wikipedia and various other places from and formed into very accurate sentences and then has confidently screwed up multiple things. And you can't help but think that if you were using ChatGPT or any API at this point in time to write stuff, you would have to go and fact check it. Because... I don't even know where it concluded this about me having degrees and writing multiple books. I think that's really fascinating. Now, um, Charlotte and I were sitting here <laughs> mucking around with it a couple of days ago, and we said, describe Troy's personal life based on what he shared publicly. Now, I won't go into all of it, but it, it pretty much got it right. Troy is married and has two children. He occasionally shares family-related anecdotes in his blog posts. And his family sometimes accompanies him when he travels for conferences or speaking engagements. That's pretty good. Australian roots, Troy's originally from Australia, resides in the Gold Coast of Queensland. He is proud of his Australian heritage and often highlights this in his presentations. That's pretty good. Fitness and health, Troy is an avid fitness enthusiast and enjoys various physical activities, so far so good, such as swimming, 
Yeah. Cycling and running. Don't know a lot of running these days. He has participated in triathlons and Ironman events. Let's just say that's right and move on. It's not it's wrong. It's completely wrong. She has experience on social media. Uh, travel as a sought-after speaker, cybersecurity expert. Troy travels extensively around the world for conferences, workshops, and other events. Uh, and then the rest, that's fine. Hobbies. Troy has keen interest in technology and gadgets, often sharing his latest discoveries and experiences with his followers. He enjoys photography and shares his photos on social media. Now, this is all interesting. And then Charlotte was like, ask it who he's married to. Now, this is interesting for for two reasons. Number one is it depends on when it dates. Number two is that that is there and accurate on Wikipedia. And it came back and said, Troy Hunt tends to keep his family life relatively private. So <laughs> you've literally just said he occasionally shares family-related stuff. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, and then it, like it doesn't know. But it's, it's, it is interesting, this thing that came up before about dating it to 2000 and, what was it, 2021. Yeah, so... Uh, where was it? September 21. Yeah. As of my knowledge, cutoff date in September 2021. Now, inevitably, that's going to be something that changes because contextual awareness about relevant and recent events is going to be uh, going to be pretty important. Uh, Fritz, great show, Troy. Need to go. Unfortunately, have a good weekend. And I, th- I think we are getting towards time. If I'm honest, we're an hour and a quarter in now. Gordon, one of our guys has an interesting prompt where the response tells you how to do better prompts, okay? Fiction of Amata says, uh, yes, another thing, people seem surprised a model trained off the internet isn't perfect. I'm more surprised that a model trained off the internet is able to get information that is on the internet wrong. But I feel like we're going to see ChatGPT 5. It's like, I don't know, what time is it now? Quarter past eight, <laughs> you know, like sometime really, really soon. And it's going to get that stuff right. So who knows? We'll see. Nero says the text concentration is insanely good, but the data fact checking behind it can be very wrong. I totally agree with that. Affliction of Mars is careful, Troy. AI might talk about how you died a decade ago, like that register writer. <laughs> Uh, and there, I mean, there are other Troy Hunts out there as well. I have a, a Google search for my name and each morning I get an alert and occasionally, yeah, it's like I'm, I don't know, like some small town sheriff or uh, I've gotten a speeding ticket or I've been arrested or something strange like that. But it, it seems to be able to work that out. Fiction Ramada also says, uh, by a decade ago, I mean last decade, hey, look, I can be confidently wrong like GPT too. I wonder also how much ability there is to taint the data sources as well. You know, if you put information out there which is just blatantly wrong, how much is that going to feed through and how much independent fact-checking is it going to be able to do? Uh, (laughs) Okay, last one, last one. And then I think we reached uh, the end of our time. I'm going to ask this, but it's going to be too subjective has elon musk made twitter better this is a subjective question and opinions may vary 
Some people may argue that Elon Musk has made Twitter better by bringing more attention to the platform and using it to share important updates and engage with his followers. Others may argue that his controversial tweets and behaviour on the platform have made it more diversive and unpleasant. Ultimately, it is up to each individual to decide whether they think Elon Musk has made Twitter better or not. It's trying to have it both ways, isn't it? I think they just up upsets everyone equally <laughs> with the response like that. Okay, well, by the time we do this next week, it'll be much more intelligent and there'll be GPT-5 and there'll be all sorts of other things that we haven't even thought of yet. Uh, thank you for sticking by. I think that was fun doing the dream wall thing. Maybe we'll figure out what the pro is by the time I get to next week. Maybe I'll figure out how to paint it black and integrate it to the garage and keep Charlotte happy as well. Uh, what I do know is that that is a very large white thing that is not just going to slot in nicely in the spot that I'd really like to have it. So we'll work it out. I'll share that later on. More pics to come. Thanks for uh, sticking around for an hour and a quarter. So that was a long one. Catch you next week.